Hello everyone, this is Michael from Kendo World and welcome to the latest edition of Ked Talk. Uh, today we are joined by Kate Sylvester, originally from New Zealand but then competing for Australia for many years. Uh, Kate is a Renshi Rokudan in Kendo. Uh, since 2019 she has been living in Sweden where she has been the coach of the women's national team. Uh, Kate began kendo uh, back when she was 15 years old uh, as an exchange student in Japan and then been practicing ever since. So we're really excited today to be talking to Kate about her kendo history. Uh, so Kate, welcome to Ked Talk. Thank you. Thank you for the kind introduction. <laughs> that was only the first time I did that introduction, <laughs> yeah. so I'm, yeah, I'm glad right. I got it right first time. <laughs> yeah. So um, we're recording this interview on September 28th in 2021. Uh, we just found out in Japan today that in a couple of days' time, the state of emergency surrounding COVID-19 is going to end. And then shortly after that, I got emails from my kendo club to say that now we can use school facilities and practice again. So I'm really mm -hmm. excited about getting back in the dojo. So, Kate, where you are in uh, Sweden at the moment, how has the situation with regards to COVID been and, and training? Yeah, so we are, we are training at the moment, uh, but we have to wear masks. Uh, so regulations from the Kendo Federation, but that will end in a few weeks, actually. So we won't need to wear masks. And I think that has a lot to do with uh, the high uh, vaccination rate. And also the cases are going down. So, yeah. So it looks like we won't be wearing masks. And I think I'm going to feel a little naked because <laughs> we've been wearing them for so long and uh, become quite used to the, the hard training. It's, it's quite hard training with masks on, but yeah, hopefully my fitness, yeah. yeah but yeah, you must miss, yeah. You must miss Kendo, do you? From yeah, there are, there are some places probably still going around a little bit far from me, but... Most of the places I train at use school facilities and uh, mm -hmm. the Board of Education has basically stopped uh, any clubs or any out-of-school clubs and activities from using their facilities during the, uh, during the state of emergency. But that will finish on September 30th mm -hmm. and then we'll be back from October 3rd. So Fantastic. looking forward to that. I guess we will still be having to wear masks. We haven't heard anything from the Zenken yet. But mm -hmm. like in Sweden, the rates of vaccination are getting really high now. We're nearly up to 60% completely vaccinated. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully we'll be back. But I've been able mm -hmm. to get a really good mask. I've made some posts on Facebook about it that's kind of made three separate parts so it's actually quite easy to breathe which has been which has been good have you been doing the the, the tenugri inside the mask what the, the zenkenren guidance was or you've been getting other no things? just uh medical masks old sports masks um yeah just those it's still quite difficult to breathe through them um but because we've been training with them for months now we're quite used to it so yeah, it's been fine. Um, yeah, the first couple of times I trained with a mask, it was like wearing a men again for the first time. <laughs> I remember back to 2003, I think it was, and struggling to breathe. But uh, yeah, I think everyone's a bit used to it now, so mm. that'll be good. Yeah. Mm. All right, so let's go back to the beginning <laughs> then. So as I mentioned in your introduction, you started kendo when you were 15 at... Uh, on, on an exchange from mm. New Zealand to Japan? Yes. Was that, was that a Lions Club exchange or Rotary Club exchange? No, it was a school exchange. Uh, it was a high school in Toyama. Our, my our high school had a sister-school relationship with a high school. Uh, and I'd actually been at the high school for six months and I, I got actually really homesick. And uh, the teachers suggested that I join a club. So I looked around at all the clubs. I looked at tennis, uh, kudo, uh, some other clubs. But when I saw kendo, I just thought, what is this <laughs> like? Because as you know, the noises are quite overwhelming and the screaming and the clashes of shinai and 
foot stomping. I was quite uh, exhilarated actually when I first saw it. So I joined the club, uh, started to make lots of friends and uh, we trained every day and that's when I actually started to enjoy living in Japan. It was a very special experience actually, yeah. So I think that's kind of quite similar to, to Alex. He he began when he was on an exchange program at the same age, I think, when he came to when he came to Japan. And I think he wanted to do football or soccer, sorry for the Americans listening. And mm. but his 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 uh, uh host mother was like, nah, you've got to do kendo and then <laughs> and the rest is history. Yeah. So you're training yeah. every day from like 15 years age, 15 years old. Yeah, but it wasn't the, the teacher wasn't very strict. So and it wasn't a high performing kendo club. And I think the teacher was only there when he could come. Um, and at the time during the year that I was there, it changed from being single sex school to co-ed. So they were, they were mostly females in the club. So I had no idea that kendo was considered a male sport because all, <laughs> uh, all male martial art until later. But then we had two boys join and yeah, so it wasn't anything like these highly skilled training high schools that we see in the videos. It was nothing like that. I can't, I remember the trainings being hard, but nobody was being really strict or the uh, the Jorge Kunkan things weren't very strict. So it was quite fun, actually. Oh, okay. I loved it, yeah. It seems very different from Alex's experience <laughs> when, when when everyone that had his coach said he was the, the real-life Darth Vader. <laughs> I, I've, met, I've not trained with him, but I've met him a few times, and he, he certainly has a presence about him. So mm. you, you were then doing it then for, you said, halfway through your first your year there so six months yeah so six months yeah and then I went back to New Zealand and uh my dad found a kendo club uh with uh Arjun Ahoy uh in Auckland and I started training with him but he wasn't part like I didn't actually know at the time that there were other kendo clubs he was just running his own club and he's a very good teacher and that's when I learned how hard kendo training could be because he used to train me into the corner. I had to ki my way out. So oh. that's how I actually developed my ki because when I first started doing kendo, I would not ki because I was like, I'm not making those noises. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so thanks to him, actually, he taught me how to ki and to apply fighting spirit, actually. Mm. Mm. Uh, but th but at the time I was only 16, so I, I'm getting up to go to Kendo on a Saturday morning when you'd rather be partying with your friends. It kind of clashed a little. So I, I actually stopped Kendo for about five years oh, wow. until I moved to Australia. I did train at the Auckland Kendo Cup uh, a few times, but I wasn't committed. Uh, but, of course, I really miss Kendo. And you always long that experience of when you start kendo in Japan, you know, when you've got lots of people your age and it was fun. And I think training in New Zealand, it was, I was training with adults. It was a little bit sore. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't as much fun, but I still missed the feeling when I didn't train. So when I moved to Australia, uh, I joined uh, the Kenshikan uh, with Peter Sportsball Sensei and the guy Sensei, and that was my kendo home. And I remember, I still remember the first day I trained again. I was just so exhilarated and happy and oh, jumping around the room. It's like, oh, I'm doing kendo again. Where, whereabouts is that? What's in Melbourne. Oh, yeah, Melbourne. in Melbourne. Mm. So how long yeah. were you in, in Melbourne for? Uh, well, until I moved to Sweden. So from, oh. I think it was 1999 until 2019. Yeah. And uh, then just kept training at the, the Kenshikan. Uh, the World Championships were coming up in 2000. That was, I was getting yeah. Santa Clara, right? Santa Clara, yes. And uh, Hayami Butaleb, who was an Australian team member, said to me, why don't you go to the World Championships? And I was like, what? I'm not very good at kendo, <laughs> like the World Championships. 
And at the time I was a New Zealand citizen, so I applied uh, to the New Zealand team and I was lucky to be able to represent New Zealand uh, for my first time. Hmm. So how many years had you been doing kendo by that, by that time, by 2000? Oh, well, or you six had a months break, in, hadn't you? Yeah, yeah, so six months in Japan. I'd say I can't recall, it's quite a while ago, but I, it feels like I, I trained for a, a period of time when I went back to New Zealand, but not that long. But then when I was in Australia, it's probably for a year. So, I, you know, this is the amazing thing. I got my show done after doing kendo for six months in Japan because at that time I think they like to give foreigners as an encouragement. Right, right. right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, so you, you was... went back to New Zealand with a, with a, a short rest. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. But I guess if you're training every day, you pick up kendo very quickly. You know, so I think that experience in Japan uh, I developed and I was young and I loved sports, so I was quite athletic when I was younger. So I think I picked it up quickly. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So how, how was the experience of your first world champs then back in 2000? Oh, it was incredible. I just remember feeling it was quite overwhelming with hundreds and hundreds of competitors and the Japanese team. <laughs> I remember just being in so much admiration, watch, watching them warm up, but everybody was standing around and seeing this high level of kendo uh, at that age was really amazing. I, I just I remember actually having goosebumps at the opening ceremony because what an amazing experience, opportunity, you know, to represent your country uh, and kendo, you know, a Japanese cultural art. Yeah, it was amazing. And it was quite a lot of fun too being part of the New Zealand team and because I'd been training in Australia and I actually did do some training with the Australian national team, I feel that I also had connection with the Australian team as well. So it was a very supportive first experience. Yeah. Did they have that at that time, the, the, a yearly competition? Was it every year between Australia and New Zealand or is that kind of a more recent, no. uh, recent tournament? That's a recent tournament. I think it started before 2012 when Brett Smith was the national coach. I'm pretty sure before Italy, we had our first, uh, the Trans-Tasman Taikai. That's right. Mm -hmm. Alex Bennett and Brett Smith uh, organised that. Mm. Obviously, things like that are not going on at the moment. I guess then, obviously. No, no. It's mm. a shame, but I'm sure everything will pick up in time. In a couple of mm. years, I think things will be back back to normal. Mm. So when you're, you're going back to your first WKC then, were you in the team or the individual tournament or both? I think both. And uh, both individual and team. I think we had five members. Uh, the matches are actually... They were just three minutes long. So I think at that WKC, the competition was semi-official. I think only the individual competition was considered official. I think we, mm. we spoke to Donatella about that because she was in, in Santa Clara as well. I think, I think the women's competition didn't become... I, I think in, in Santa Clara, it was kind of semi-official, mm -hmm. wasn't it, in 2000? Mm. I think it was um, either 2003 or 2006 when it became the, the women's competition became official, uh, whatever mm -hmm. that means. But um, 2003 it was. Oh, yeah. that was Glasgow then. 2003. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and they increased the Shi'ai time by one minute, so that's four minutes. Uh, yeah, which <laughs> I, I mean, I think the WKC hasn't really lost its non-official or semi-official feeling because the matches are still shorter. Um, by one minute and in Japan all the matches are the same time as the men's so it's, it's um, supposed to be this year was going to be the, the same time and mm. and and team on one day and individuals on the other mm, day instead mm, of putting mm. them both mm. both together um yeah that would just have such a positive impact like for the performance for the shimpan must be so tired as well 
and for the coaches. And I think it will also raise the prestige of the women's competitions um, because the performance will be better as well. So let's hope. I think it will depend where the next WKC is held, but let's hope the International Canada Federation makes that permanent change. I, I, I thought it was permanent going to be from France or from this year but it's obviously ended up being cancelled I'm not sure it's not clear it's not clear but I hope it is um, it's just one of those things that has to change it's progress mm. <laughs> yeah and there's enough women and the level is high enough uh, so there's no reason why it shouldn't be the same yeah we spoke to Donatella a, a couple of Ked talks ago about that same thing as well and Mm. Even for us, when we we were just there videoing the the tournaments, I mean, for us, I can't imagine what it's like for for a, a, a lady that's in the in the team and the individual competition doing everything in one day. I mean, for us, just mm. everything firing <laughs> enough, and the shimpan just on their feet all day. And, oh yeah, and all the people courtside. It's a, a really long day, and and yeah, it should be on separate days. Mm. So it was a real mm. positive sign that it was going to happen uh, this yes. year in France, but unfortunately, obviously, that's not gone ahead. Yeah, Let's yeah. Hope that stays uh, for the next one, mm. wherever mm. that will be. Um, mm. Whenever. I wonder, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So your mm. your first um, WKC back in two thousand then was with the New Zealand team, and then mm-hmm. you'd been living in Australia for a while and. Got Australian citizenship. So, mm. 2003, you represented uh, Australia. Yes, yes, because I remember that uh, WKC, the Australian team was very impressive. Uh, Damien Carmody Stevens was the coach. And I think that was a real start of the Australian team becoming professional, having proper coaching. Uh, and I just recall. Australia fighting Japan and just the way they held themselves and their tenaguis were positioned perfectly on the men. And at the time, because I was living in Australia, I thought, well, my history, my training history is actually stronger in Australia than it is in New Zealand. So I decided to uh, get my citizenship and represent uh, Australia. Yeah. So that first one then would have been in... 2003 then in in Glasgow yes yeah so uh, how, how was that oh, wow uh amazing I mean it's not just the competition but you get to travel to all these amazing places and spend time with uh teammates and coaches so you make so many special memories and uh, that was a really good championships as well like from 2000 the Australian women's team have finished top eight until 2012 and a woman has won a Fighting Spirit Award. So we've had quite a, a strong history in terms of uh, representation and success. And I think it comes down to the leadership uh, under Hayami Butuleb. She's a, a fantastic captain. And Damien Carmody stevens he was a coach for 2000 and 2003. Yeah, so I, it was uh, it was a really good experience actually, to be coached uh, as well it was wonderful, and yeah, so and it wasn't just about of course it was about winning. I mean, you go to competitions to win, but I feel it was much broader than that. So I really from there from that WKC two thousand on uh, two thousand three onwards. I became clear that I could use kendo as a way to develop myself, learn to believe in myself. And so it's been much more than just the shi'ai. It's been about the experience and uh, the connection I feel to myself through shi'ai and connecting with your opponents and, yeah. Hmm. Okay. So one thing I I wanted to ask about being in, in Australia, which is obviously a, a continent unto itself. So you're in Melbourne, and would w- would the would the training sessions be held in different places around Australia to, to obviously help people from different parts of the country with the travelling, or did everyone have to 
gather in, say, Sydney or Adelaide or, or wherever? We tried to spread it out. It was normally because most of the team members were in Sydney or Melbourne and Canberra is not really in between, but we would have training camps in Canberra. It's closer to Sydney. But, of course, it was always very difficult for the people in Queensland or Western Australia having to travel. So we didn't, from memory, we only tried to have camps when people could come. But, of course, the expense, I mean, when you're coming from Western Australia, it's a, it's a four-hour flight and it's expensive uh, and it's not really viable to have all the team travel to Western Australia because it's just of the expense. And uh, so we would have them either in Melbourne, Canberra or Sydney at that time. Hmm. It's a big country. <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, I was backpacking through there, like I think 2001, something like that. Mm. I didn't have the money to fly from Broome to Sydney, so I did the Greyhound buses from Broome to Sydney. That was, I think, five days in total around, mm. and I ended up with swollen ankles by the time I got <laughs> off. <laughs> Yeah, not like Britain mm. where it's it's not that far to to travel to different places. No, it's yeah, it's a big country. Because we at that time the flights were still quite expensive. So we used to drive. Wow. Um Brett Smith used to drive us to these camps. And you know, imagine, I mean, you're driving for seven or eight hours after a weekend. Um, but then you get to spend time with people too. So it's quite special, those road trips. Uh, do, do you think yeah. that kind of fostered a like a real sense of tightness or commitment between between the members being so many hours on confined buses or cars and things like that? <laughs> yeah, it was mainly cars. I don't think anybody uh, went on buses, but yeah, definitely. The conversations that you have when you're a bit delirious to, <laughs> you know, after a training camp. <laughs> so did anyone get up to any hijinks on the on the car journeys or the or the training camps, or was everyone just very focused on? Yeah, quite focused because we only have that small amount of time together, and um, both when Jamie and and Brett were coaches, they were they were very focused with their planning and making the most out of the training camps. Uh, yeah, it's very good leadership with those two. So yeah. how long would a, would a training camp last for around that time? Just a weekend or three or four days or something like that? No, just the weekend, all day Saturday and Sunday till three or four. Uh, if, we, if we're driving back, it was, yeah, I'd say about three o'clock we finished. Mm, yeah. So two days. So you'd probably get there Friday evening and then you, you're mm. training. So what what would so one of those national team training camps then, what would be a kind of standard training menu or regimen for the, for those two days? What type of different mm. things do you work on? Uh, a lot of basics, uh, footwork, uh, and just all the things that constitute a you called it to like good points. But, and I think that was the thing I really feel so appreciative of uh, is because it wasn't, the training wasn't just about getting points. It was about really improving your kendo altogether. So that's really became my kendo philosophy as well, just um, that head movement and correct feet and commitment and confidence in your attacks. Uh, no tricks. You know, it's always solid, good foundations. Uh, basics uh, and teamwork activities as well. So we we did have sports psychologists come in on a few occasions and work with us as well. That was really good to help with our team cohesion and team bonding. So that was right through uh, Brett's when Brett was coach up until 2012. Hmm. Hmm. So how, how often would, would you have these type of camps? Like once a month or once every two months? I think just because of the travel time and we wanted as many people together at the same time, I think from memory, I think it was three, four times a year and plus the national championships 
uh, yeah, so I, from memory, I'd say it was about four times a year. And of course, yeah. That's a big ask. I mean, if it's like every month or every two months, oh, or yeah. particularly like you said, if you're coming from Western Australia or something, it's going to be. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Yeah, so it was about four times a year. And plus, our biggest competition at the time, what well, still is, it's a world championships, world kendo championships. So three years was aimed towards that. But in Europe, you know, as we know, it's the European Championships and there's so many smaller competitions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So there's a lot of investment uh, and energy putting into preparing that one big competition. Yeah. One chance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'd heard, and um, I'm sure someone in the comments can correct me if I'm wrong, but, or sorry, we, we at Kendo World had heard that for uh, a, a World Kendo Championships, the American national team has a budget of $300,000 to obviously to help because obviously America is a huge country as well mm. to help with getting people from different sides of the country and that budget set aside for each, each world championships. Mm. I, I guess America obviously with such a huge kendo population compared to the UK or, or Australia is in a much better position to do that. But mm. Mm. And the French Kendo Federation is huge too, isn't it, I think? But they're also, I believe they're joined in with the Judo Federation uh -huh. as well, aren't they? Which is, which is a huge federation in, uh, in, in, uh, in France. Well, they have more, mm -hmm. more judo practitioners than Japan, apparently, I believe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so then the, your, your next world champs <laughs> then was Taiwan. 2000s, mm. which I think is the, the first time we met. Um, it would have been very briefly in in Taiwan. That's the first world champs I went to, not as a competitor, mm. as, a, as to take video and stuff for, for Kendo mm -hmm. World. So what was the difference in your, in your Kendo between Glasgow and, and Taiwan? Mm. Well, I, I was training at Furushin then under Brett. Smith. So having the national coach, national team coach as your teacher, was a, a bit of pressure, <laughs> expectation, <laughs> but he was there constantly reminding me of what I had to improve, which so I was quite lucky in that way. So I think, and Brett Smith was, uh, he was the national coach then. And I think it was just being coached by him for that period. My fundamentals were uh, better. Uh, but again, you, d you don't get that much Shi'i experience. You know, it's just the world championships. So uh, I think we did our best, but again, we finished we finished top eight. Uh, Fighting Spirit Award, Hayami Abutaleb received that. Uh, yeah, I can't, it's funny, I can't recall if my kendo was that different because you just... <laughs> you just Fighting. I remember being scored on. <laughs> There's a few. We fought the German team. They were quite strong. That they was ended in up finishing actually. No, no, we fought them in 2003, not 2006. Oh, okay. Yeah, in 2006. The German women's team came third, didn't they? I believe. Yes, I think so. Yeah, they're quite strong. And again, it's the first European team to break through. Actually, it's quite impressive. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, but again, an amazing experience being in Taiwan. Yeah, somewhere different. And I spent time after the championships. I spent time with Richard Ward, uh, our president at the time. Uh, president, incoming president, uh, Ron Bennett, had retired from that role around that time. And wonderful experience. And I think the next uh, World Championships in Brazil was a very special one. Uh, such an amazing place to go to Brazil. <laughs> you know, so, Paulo, did you go to that one? Were you there? No, no, I didn't. No. We, we didn't quite have the budget to send people to, to <laughs> Brazil. I know there's a few national, I think Belgium didn't, ended up not sending a team to Brazil as well, I believe, because of mm. the expense. So. How was that yeah. then, being being in Brazil? I mean, 
Uh, but that was just incredible too. And I think that World Championships it was special for me because we we got to fight the Japanese team. And uh, and I just remember having such a wonderful match. Like I really felt connected to my opponents as uh, Subota. She was the captain at the time. And just having that opportunity to fight such a world-class kendo athlete. I think she'd won the, the All Japan Championships the year before. Uh, but I, I didn't feel scared during that match. I wasn't afraid of losing. Or, and I, I actually scored a point. It wasn't a very good point. We both, the flags went up and both, both of us looked at the, the shimpan like, what? <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. And uh, she scored a point back. And so it ended in a draw, but it was more the experience of just, for me, I felt like I experienced no mind. Like I just had that connection and I just enjoyed every moment uh, of that match. And I I received a fighting spirit. I think it was for that uh, match, but that was probably the most outstanding memory from my competitive career. Uh, yeah, and uh, Brett Smith was coach then too. Yeah. 2012. So the- yeah, two th- no, 2009. That was 2009. And Brazil. Oh, sorry, Brazil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah 2009. Yeah. 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 So at that point, you, you had come to Japan for a while for study. Was that af- just after Brazil or just before? Uh, just after, just after. So I, I was at university then studying to be a physical education teacher and I'd actually just finished my degree and one of my lecturers had, um, Brent McDonald had spent time in Japan and he, uh, he'd researched university rowing and I told him about my kendo experience at the World Championships and he said, well, why don't you go to Japan and research women's kendo? And so I did an honours uh, thesis about women's kendo in Japan and because we had a sister school, a sister university relationship with Iwak or Seike Sports College. Uh, and I thought they had a kendo club, but when I got there, they, they weren't practising. There was no club. And oh, no. the, uni- the university was quite far away from anything, so I was like, ah! <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so what did you do? Did you did you join like a local machi dojo or sports centre? Well, there's quite far away. I did train. Uh, there were some places I could train. Uh, Shizawa Sensei from Nikara put me in contact uh, with one of his students, a sensei. So I was able to train with him. He looked after me quite well. And uh, I trained at the like the, the Shiga Taikukan. I can't recall where it was. But it was every Saturday they had a, a big practice with uh, quite a few high-level sensei and students. And But it was around that time that uh, Alex Bennett was living in Kyoto, which is quite close to mm-hmm. Shiga next door really uh and he introduced me to Osaka Taiku Daigaku Kumatori which is three hours by train (laughs) so I trained there every now and then Uh, it's just it's quite far but that was an incredible experience training have you been to that university it's no I haven't but that's uh, Sakudo sensei was the yes yeah he's since retired uh, a few years ago but yeah, that's the, the the university that's famous for the really brutal kangeko. Yeah, days, I believe is it in in a row. Fifteen days, yeah, 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 yeah. So I trained there, and I think from training there, I developed a relationship with uh, Kanzaki Sensei's wife. Well, he's the head instructor now, Satoko Sensei, and. Uh, through that relationship, we started the Oceania Women's Kendo Seminar. She came out with uh, Tokiko Abe Sensei. And so they ran three seminars uh, for women in Australia, which was just amazing. 
And I think those seminars is really the start of, well, it definitely contributed to our success at the WKC in 2018. Mm -hmm. um, but the whole time during my whole kendo career up until that point, I had also trained at Nitaidai, who had a very Nippon Taiku Dagaku. Yeah, yeah. Who have a yeah, very strong relationship with Australian kendo. Um, Shizawa Kunio sensei had spent a year in Australia in the 80s, and ever since he really looked after Australian kendo car. And I would travel to Japan every two, I'd say two years, and train at Nitaidai. And uh, yeah, so they had quite a, a huge influence on my kendo. And the philosophy was very similar to Brett Sensei's, uh, Brett Smith's kendo philosophy. So that was quite uh, complementary. Mm. Mm. How did you find training with the with the university students in uh, at Osaka Taiko Daigaku? <laughs> oh, it was exhilarating. The the warm ups. I mean, imagine you have a hundred students in sync warming up with Kiai and their foot stomps and the, the floor is beautiful cedar wood. Um, it was, I felt quite privileged training there uh, because you're amongst so many skilled practitioners uh, and they're very competitive. But of course, I think at the time I was 35 or 36 and they're 18 to 21. And of course, even though I started kendo when I was 15, I developed adult kendo, so it's a bit stiff and so you know, they just keep coming at you and there's not really much you can do. But I think training in those university environments really reminded me of the time of when I did kendo in high school. It's just having those female relationships and mm -hmm. kendo didn't hurt. You know, they're very skilled and very strong spiritually and quite intimidating actually so I, I felt very privileged uh training there but of course it's uh and I think anybody feels this when they they train in Japan it's quite challenging to your confidence yeah. <laughs> you, you feel you feel you can do kendo when you're in your home country but then when you go to Japan it's like I can't do kendo. <laughs> kendo really sucks. You know? <laughs> but then after time you get used to the rhythm and you need to really adapt how you fight and open yourself up and uh, be less self-centred, I think. So that's a really good experience. Um, and just training in that environment was incredible. The sensei were amazing. And it's not just, even though it's, I mean, those universities, the Taikuke universities, they, the students are training to be physical education teachers. So their kendo basics, of course, uh, are very important. So you really feel that the students aren't, they're really trying to develop themselves as people. And that's what I was so impressed with is the wisdom and maturity of those women uh, that were half my age <laughs> and how invested they were in kendo and developing their confidence through kendo and trying to get uh, looking at career paths. So, yeah, it was, it was, I was really impressed. So I suppose then after that, that period then when, you, when you went back to uh, Australia, were, were the, the people in your local clubs and maybe national team trainings, were they wanting to, to know about how you were training in in uh, in Japan, or if they if you could bring the exercises and, and the different things you were doing there into the practice. Into mm. Well, around that same time, I'd started my own club at Victoria University because I was a uni university student. I'd started a club in 2010, so it all happened around the same time, uh, and I'd only at that time. 2000, it was around 2010, all around the same time. I'd only trained at Osaka Taiko Daigaku a few times, but I went back and I did a PhD thesis. So that was when I spent a much longer period of time there. And I think it was after that uh, experience in Kangeko 
<laughs> the hardest kendo experience of my life. I survived, <laughs> but the most enriching. I was quite a different person after that experience, actually. Um, it was incredible. Um, yeah, I think uh, probably after the PhD, because so, I was trained there for 18 months and other places as well. Uh, so I was researching women's university kendo, not just there, but at, uh, all over Japan. And I'd say I was able to apply some of those training techniques when I was assistant coach for the Australian team in 2015 when Uphard Maxey was the head coach. Yeah. And so that was brings us on then to 2015. So that was your final World World Kendo Championships as a competitor? Yeah. Uh, and a coach, but uh, assistant coach. But I think if we can just go back to 2012, because I think that's the most oh, right, significant. Right. Yeah. No. Um, when Brett Smith was coach of the national team there, the Australian women's team missed out third place by one point in Dajorsen against Brazil. It was really painful because uh, Vivian Young and Darcy Chun had such an amazing performance. They just blitzed their matches, but we struggled a bit more at the end. And then it was a draw. And then we just needed one point. And the day Hill said we lost. But um, I couldn't sleep for about two days. <laughs> right, like, right. I only got one point because I was a captain. You know, I carried this burden of if only I'd got one point. And, but I think... I realised from that WKC that if I was a better captain, uh, we could have beaten Brazil. So, and I think that experience of being at Osaka Taiku Dagaku really changed um, my personality. Like I actually learned how to be more open. So I was able to apply that in future uh, competitions. And I think that's why the women's team probably had a better experience from 2015 because I was a bit more relaxed, and a, bit right. more, a bit more open and um, a bit more communicative. Yeah, so. Mm. So when you when mm. you went into that that champs in 2015, which is mm. the uh, the Nippon Budokan, yes, were, were you already thinking at that time that this will be your last one and, and a good place to go out in in Tokyo or? Hadn't you made your mind up about that yet? Uh, I had a feeling only because it was a changing of the guard. So Brett Smith had retired from coaching and Apart Maxey had, he was the coach for that one. Uh, and I was assistant coach. So I, I had a feeling it would be, would be my last one. And that one was quite a lot of pressure because I mean, imagine you're in the Budokan. You know, there's so many Japanese sensei that you know are watching you. <laughs> and they're not really watching you, but you think that they are. <laughs> so I actually was quite worried. I had a bit of uh, a worry about performance anxiety. Like I thought, you know, what happens if I just become too conscious that they're watching me? So I actually saw a sports psychologist and my focus was that I just wanted to get one good man cut where I felt free. Mm-hmm. and then I could block out everything around me and I was able to do that uh we we played America USA and they, their team's quite strong that year uh but I managed to get one point one man cut where I just I felt no self-doubt nothing I just went for it uh and it, I, I'd say that was probably the match of my life because i I really connected to my opponent and I blocked out everything around me. And actually people were watching my match. There were and <laughs> so, <laughs> there were a lot of people watching that match. So, um, so, so I felt a sense of satisfaction, like finally after so many WKC, I could just perform the way I wanted to because I'd always struggled with performance anxiety before. And that one man cut to me, I didn't win the match, we drew it. But I feel that I made a big achievement that uh, I had achieved believing in myself on the Shi'ai job. So, right, right. yeah. Mm. So that, that was a really useful experience for you then to, to see a sports psychologist 
Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, because I think, uh, as I earlier mentioned, I, I've always, uh, I love competition. Uh, it's, so, it's so thrilling, as you know, competing. It's fun and getting points and the build-up, the hard training. Uh, but I have always used kendo to develop my self-confidence and I really felt that by seeing a sports psychologist, helping my performance on the shiajo would help me outside of my kendo life as well, which it has. And that was quite significant, that one. And it is really beneficial because you just learn about focus and you go back into your history a little bit about why you have performance fear or what's what's standing in the way. Uh, yeah, so you're really unpacking your personal history too through seeing sports psychologists. Um, so it really worked for me. And it's, yeah. Hmm. Is it something many members of the Australian team or many other people that maybe not not just in the Australian team that you know of that have spoken to sports psychologists? Is it quite common in, in the kendo circles? Uh, not really. We did have, when Brett Smith was coach, we had, a, he wasn't, I don't think he's a sports psychologist, but more like a team builder from memory. But not many people do, I don't think. Uh, when I was coached the 2018 campaign, we did have a, a sports psychologist more involved. So a few people saw him. Uh, which I think was beneficial, but not really. No, not, I don't think it's so common, um, but I think it's really beneficial because you think about kendo, there's so many dis distractions and mm -hmm. so many things that can really put you off your performance and focus is really important and it's so easy to lose that focus and become uh, internally focused. So I think seeing a sports psychologist can just help you to be present and to be externally focused on your opponent and block out everything else. Yeah. Hmm. All right. So um, after 2015, which is when uh, yeah, Arpad was the was the the coach for the Japan team. After mm -hmm. how long did did you become the the uh, the Australian coach? Did he finish right after 2015, and then you took over immediately, mm -hmm. or? Yeah, uh, at the end, I think, so 2000, the end of 2015, we started the new campaign, I think, early 2016. Yeah, so it's an interesting story because I just was quite set on coaching the women's team to make up for the 2012 loss. It was so painful for so long um, to give that to Brett's uh, efforts, I think. Uh, but in Australia, the system is, is that you, you put together a coaching team and you put that forward to the Australian Kendo board and they select the team based on the team applications that they have. And at the time, I there wasn't a male coach who would coach the men's team that I wanted to work with, that they weren't able to work uh, on the team. I mean, as you probably know, it's so much effort and time and finances and sacrifice coaching your team. And if you don't have that time or mental energy, uh, you can't do it. Um, so then I, uh, I thought, okay, well, there's nobody else. I guess I just have to step up into both roles. And then I got a really good assistant coach, uh, Daniel Sensei, excellent. He's um, from Korea, very technically skilled. And two awesome managers are Rob Reed, manager, and Yaya, assistant manager. And together, we worked really well uh, leading the team. So you so that was from the end of 2015 onwards? Yeah. The start of yes. the new cycle for the, for yes. the champs? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. How, how did it work? How, how did you manage that, that transition from, from being a player, being a competitor into a manager? I know you'd said in... The, the previous world champs that you were the assistant coach mm. so you'd already had some kind of experience but the buck from, from <laughs> the end of 2015 the buck stopped with 
with just you. Yeah. Then how was that going like from, you know, one week you're a teammate, <laughs> next week you're that person's boss? I mean, how, how did you manage that change from... Yeah. In that was uh, yeah, that was a bit tricky, but luckily, the female team members were were pretty open and relaxed and good, positive people. But it was it was a little difficult because I couldn't be as strict on people that had been my teammates. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, the relationship was as friends. And then to going as coach, but I just I had to be quite careful. I did my best at balancing that, and the uh, the female team members did pretty well too. Um, but I think with that campaign, what really helped is that because I was the head coach, I had to manage both teams, so it took the focus off the women's team. So I think if I'd just been women's coach, it might have been more difficult for me and for them. But because I had to look after everyone and we tried to really work on team cohesion, it wasn't as difficult as it could have been, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Vivian Jung was a wonderful, positive captain. She's so easy to work with. Uh, so I knew, so the women were quite a strong little unit and I was quite aware that I just shouldn't overcoach them, <laughs> just let them do their thing. And um, because it was the strongest women's team we'd ever had. So uh, yeah. apart from you not not going up with the with the women's team as a competitor in 2018, had there been yeah. many of the members changing, or was it mostly the same team from 2015 into 2018? Mm, Except we, yeah, we had the 2015 was it was mostly a new team. So that's why, and we didn't have a very lucky draw. So we, we still had a good performance, but not as good as previous WKC because the team was quite new. But so for 2018, we had three, four members who had just started their WKC journey at the last campaign in 2015. But I think what really made that team is um, we had Vivian Jung and Darcel Chun who had done really well at the WKC in 2012, they came back onto the team and they had a very good relationship and they had some revenge to get, I think, <laughs> together. Um, so I think just the dynamic and we had a new member, uh, Dale Padouin as well, who's training in Japan at the time, training really hard. She trained at Nitai Dai every day with students. Uh, so, yeah, we ha just had a really good team, a really good team, and they're really positive and worked together really well, and the men as well. So I really felt like we had a fantastic team cohesion and uh, more support from the Australian Kendo Red May and Kendo Board than previously. And lots of good things were going for us. Previous WKC... Uh, success, you know, right from 2000 and uh, the women's seminars. So, and also we had a lucky draw. We didn't have Japan or Korea early on, um, but we still had tough teams like we had to fight uh, Germany. Well, they, they would and, always be strong, whether it's the men's or the women's team. Yeah. Always be there yeah. or thereabouts. Yeah. yeah. And uh, because we'd been to Hungary the year before, the same year, actually, we'd had a chance to fight some of the European teams. So we fought Poland. And in the draw, the way that it was going, we were either going to fight Poland or Brazil in the quarterfinals. And I knew we could probably do okay against Poland, but you can't underestimate any team at the World Championships. Or then the other chances that would fight Brazil, you know, and we, we had lost by one point. 2012 and I had confidence that Vivian and Darcel would win their matches based on probably the the pain right. <laughs> not that they ever I think I felt the most pain <laughs> being a captain um but I just had a really good feeling that we were going to be successful at this campaign yeah and then yeah you were that was for, for the Australian women that was their best ever world champs and finished third 
Yeah. Who, who did you meet in the semi-finals for for that competition? Uh, Korea. Yeah, Korea. We did pretty. We did okay against. They won. We they won two zero. So we had three draws. Um. But it's such an amazing experience having the whole world watching us fighting Korea and then Canada was fighting Japan on the other court. And in Korea as well. Yeah, in Korea. And I see that's your your Zoom background that you've got at the yeah. moment. <laughs> yeah. Are you in there yeah. somewhere, do you think? Um, yeah, somewhere. The opening ceremony? <laughs> well, I think it's the opening ceremony. Mm. Yeah, that was fantastic. I mean, I, I didn't, I, I couldn't go to that, but... Um, but yeah, that was uh, that was great. So after that, yeah. after then 2018, um, you so you carried on until the December after that. Uh, pretty much as soon as the championships are over, you write your coaches' reports and you, you finish up that role. And I knew that I was moving to Sweden at that time, so I probably would have reapplied if. I'd stayed in Australia, but we moved to Sweden for family reasons, and mm-hmm. and now I'm coaching the Swedish women's team. So that's been Which, since 2019. The... Actually, no, just from this year, the, the beginning of this year. Okay. There wasn't really a team actually; um, it just dissipated. So, and I think if anybody had put the energy into recruiting old members back, I think anybody could have built. The team up again but I think this is a problem with women's kendo around the world is that once women leave they don't tend to come back uh, maybe fear of not training for some time they've had babies uh, but I think you know it, it requires extra effort to keep a women's team and to recruit um, otherwise I mean, there's some countries that don't have that have had quite strong representation, and then there's there's not that constant effort, and, and members just end up doing something else, and then they don't have a, a women's team to take to the world championships, which is really sad, especially when countries have been quite strong, like mm-hmm. I think Hungary and New Zealand did at one stage, and um, but it's just a cycle. Now New Zealand has a strong women's team. Again, um, yes, I think there needs to be a concerted effort to keep the numbers and women's teams. So that's mm. been your biggest challenge in, uh, since going to Sweden is to try and get some of the older, um, all the previous members to come back and, and try and get some new blood in. Has that been the, the biggest challenge? Yeah. yeah, I think just because of corona, a lot of people stopped oh. training as well. That's been a big impact. And, the, I mean, the level of uh, kendo in Sweden is quite good. But I've noticed there are very few women training now. Maybe that's a global trend. Um, but I'm, at the moment, there is Kumi Sato-sensei does train at my, the club where I train at Fiskola. But other than her, she's a seventh dan, Kyoshi, other than her, there's, uh, I'm the only female most of the time. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So that's a little sad, yeah. But so, so I suppose you took over a yeah really difficult time at, at the beginning of this year, in that you know you, you probably can't train very much or. Mm. So how, how mm. was how has that been trying to organize a team and and to to build some kind of team spirit when many people can't train and the situation is not really allowing you to have competitions and travel abroad. Mm. How, how has that been? trying to keep a team together or build a team? Yeah, well, I think luckily I only started to build the team once we started training again. So once people were able to train, I think it would have been very difficult to try and keep that team feeling when we couldn't train. But now we can train and we have five members. Uh, There was only one member when I joined, so we have a team now and they're really committed and... uh, motivated and seem to get along really well so I'm pretty excited actually about the next the EKC European Kendo Championships are in uh, Dusseldorf next May late April early May in Germany so yeah we have that to train towards 
Yeah, I hope I hope it's going to go ahead. Um, I, I I guess things seem to be kind of back to normal in a lot of places in in Europe at, at the moment. So mm. still almost a year away. So I, I guess I guess it would go ahead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I just wonder if we have to wear masks. That's that's the big question. <laughs> so the, at our national team trainings, we're wearing masks because they're still wearing masks in Japan. So I think it's to show that we're doing the right thing mm-hmm. as national team members, but also in preparation in case we have to wear them at the European Kendo Championships. Like, what a disadvantage if we hadn't have been wearing them and then all of a sudden <laughs> right, you have right. to wear masks and you can't breathe <laughs> when you're doing shiai. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, the, the, the state of emergency mm-hmm. is about to be lifted in a couple of days but as yet there hasn't been any guidance from the from the all japan kendo federation about masks but i i guess i mean this is not over yet here mm-hmm. so i guess um i, I guess it's we're still going to have to wear them for the time being mm-hmm. so the fifth wave here is just finished so mm-hmm. i think we're uh just you know, now waiting for the sixth one to start um, <laughs> Mm. So obviously, like Australia had in, in building a team there had some big challenges because of the geography of the country and so big. Are mm. there any specific challenges to to Sweden um, that are totally different from Australia? No, because we had members up north in Haleftjö and Umeå, so that's quite far. That's a, a plane ride to Stockholm. Uh, so, and we've got someone right down in Malmo. So Sweden's smaller than Australia, obviously, but they're still quite spread out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they want, the members want to train often and they're able to. Uh, so rather than just keeping all the trainings in Stockholm, we're, we're going up north uh, in December to have a women's only training camp, which is really exciting. So geographically, not as the distance isn't as far, but we're still quite spread apart. But I think because of the European Championships, it's the only championships that we will have in the near future. Like I'm not sure when the next Worlds will be. Or um, so I think they want to invest their money <laughs> and well, effort into preparing the best that they can. But other than that, it's pretty much the same. Uh, I think the only thing that there's just not many women training here at the moment, and, and Australia has more women training high level too. Uh, so I think it's important now that before I retire, I, I do a succession plan. So I make sure there's a coach before I finish coaching and that there's a healthy group of competitors to choose a team from. Yeah, I think that succession plans are really important to maintain level in numbers and, and women's con- continuity between between the new team and the old team yeah especially and I think that's at the worlds that happens a lot with the women so I mean you have teams like Brazil Canada America that have got quite strong teams and lots of members but um some of the newer countries they just you have members and then there's all new people for the next worlds, and it's very difficult to build that continuity, like you said. And I think if they can, then it will definitely raise the level of WKC Kendo as well. So I think federations really have to invest uh, mindfully in maintaining uh, women's participation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. All right, fantastic. Well, we've been speaking for well a bit over an hour now, so. I know you've got something to do um, later on today, so um, it's early afternoon for you at the moment, I believe, isn't it? Yeah, you wouldn't think so, though. It's getting dark. It's uh, dark at 3 o'clock here in winter, so I'm enjoying the sunshine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right, Kate. Well, thank you very much for uh, spending a bit over an hour talking to us today. It's been a really good chat. Uh, hopefully we can uh, catch up in Japan at some time again soon. It's been been a few years since I've, I think the last time I saw you was at the Kendo World Keikokai, I think at the, the yeah. Nippon Budokan, I think. That's right. Was the last time we met. 
So, uh, yeah, once again, um, Kate Sylvester, uh, thank you very much. And best of luck with the uh, Swedish women's team uh, coming up for the next uh, European Kendo Championships. Mm. And, yeah, great. All the best for the future. Thank you. You too. Thanks so much. Thank you.